Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of Historically Speaking Podcast, Uncommon History with an Unconventional Pair. I'm Rebecca Robbins. And I'm Kim Kimmel. I'm a singer and actress. And I'm a retired history teacher. He was my history teacher in college. And now we've been married for 22 years. Sometimes quirky, sometimes obscure. But this is the kind of history you actually want to remember. Hello, and welcome to episode 34 of Historically Speaking Podcast. Here we are. This will land probably the day before Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving, everyone, from the both of us. Happy Thanksgiving. So we thought for episode 34, we came up with a brilliant idea, hard to kill. Hard to kill. Now, what does that mean? People that refuse to die easily. Right, either by will or just sheer luck. Right, either from disease or from assassination attempts or whatever. I think with all with all four people that we're dealing with, they all had at least one assassination attempt. Oh yeah. Uh, well, I'm not so sure that the second one did. I, I'm not. I'm not certain of that. But uh, this person uh, certainly endured many dangers and came through. Okay. So we're going to go in chronological order. Yes. So who is our first candidate for hard to kill? Our first candidate for Hard to Kill is someone we've mentioned before in podcasts. This is the great English queen, Elizabeth I, who reigned from 1558 to 1603. And she was indeed hard to kill. Um, To begin with, when she was only two years old, her mother, Anne Boleyn, Henry VIII's second wife, was beheaded. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a tough way to start life. And she was made illegitimate, but by 1544, she was legitimized again in the succession behind her half-brother Edward and her half-sister Mary. Now, when her sister, half-sister Mary came to the throne after Edward died at the age of 15 in 1553, Mary was a devout Catholic, and Elizabeth uh, had been raised basically as a Protestant, and so she was in a bit of danger because of that. In 1554, there was a rebellion called Wyatt's Rebellion, which was an attempt to remove Mary from the throne by a number of Protestants. Now, I'm just curious, how old is Elizabeth at this point? Elizabeth was born in 1533, and so in 1554, she would have been 20, 21 years old. Oh, so she's a she's a young thing. She's very young. She, by the way, she was very well educated. Elizabeth spoke uh, fluent French, Italian pretty good at Spanish. Uh, Her Latin was excellent. She could speak that. She knew ancient Greek. She was highly well-educated. Her father, Henry VIII, made sure of that. That's impressive. But when her half-sister Mary, who was a devout Roman Catholic and tried to bring England back into the Catholic fold, became queen, shortly thereafter was this rebellion I mentioned, Wyatt's Rebellion, and Elizabeth was suspected because it was an attempt to replace the Catholic queen with, with Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth had nothing to do with this. There's never been any evidence that she had something to do with this. But she was suspected nonetheless, and she was put in the tower. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, for a couple months, she was put in the Tower of London. And when royalty went into the Tower of London, Elizabeth knew quite well. They rarely came out. I can't even imagine. For instance, Henry VI was killed in the Tower. Uh, in 1471. Accidentally, I'm sure. <laughs> yes, accidentally. Uh, yes, it wasn't a good sign going in there. So she finally was exculpated by her half-sister because there was no evidence against her. 
She pledged loyalty to her half-sister, who made a number of mistakes. She burned Protestants at the stake, and she also married a Catholic Spanish king, Philip II, and that was not very well liked by... This by is Mary. Mary. This is Mary. But Mary dies at a young age, age of 42, in 1558, and the only heir to the throne of Henry VIII is the 25-year-old Elizabeth. So she comes to the throne in 1558, largely an unknown quantity. Very few people really knew much about her, but she turned out to be magnificent. She was about, I, would, I consider her a true political chess master. She was uh, a fantastic monarch, and she would reign for 45 years. In 1562, however, before she was even 30, she got smallpox. Oh. Yes, and she was close to death, so she dodged uh, death that time, too. A huge bullet. Yes, and then there were all the assassination attempts against Elizabeth, and there were many. Probably the three best known are the Rodolfo, well, even before the Rodolfi plot. There was a rebellion against her in 1569-1570 by Catholic earls in the north of England. It's known as the Rising of the Earls. The Rising of the Earls was led by individuals like the Earl of Westmoreland, the Earl of Northumbria, the uh, Nevilles, uh, the Percys. Uh, this was a very serious rising. It was the only armed rising against Elizabeth in her entire reign. It was put down. Uh, now, what does that look like? They just get a whole bunch of people to follow them, and they, what, attack the castle? Well, they actually took over the city of Durham. They held a Catholic mass there. It was a fairly serious uprising with uh, thousands uh, uh, behind them. But this rebellion was put down. Uh, Elizabeth demanded many executions. Some six, 700 people were executed. Wow. Yes, including some of the aristocracy. So she wasn't, she wasn't fooling around. No. Uh, in a way, you could say, as Paul Johnson mentions in his magnificent uh, history of the English people, uh, Elizabeth was a killer like her father, Henry VIII, and like her grandfather, Henry VII. You didn't mess around with these three monarchs. They were all very capable, but they could be ruthless when they had to be. And there were many executions, but it was a, it was a serious uprising. The north of England was tended to be very Catholic, did not accept the uh, Protestantism of Henry VIII and then of Elizabeth. But the rebellion was put down. Now we come to some assassination plots. Uh, the first big one was the Rodolfi plot. Uh, Roberto Rodolfi was this Italian banker, and he cooked up this harebrained scheme to have Elizabeth assassinated and Mary, Queen of Scots, put on the throne. Now keep in mind, this is 1571 or thereabouts, 1572. Mary, Queen of Scots, has been a prisoner in England since 1568, fleeing Scotland. And we've covered this before. Right. And Mary, Queen of Scots, was the heir to the English throne if Elizabeth should die. Yes. Uh -huh. And Mary, Queen of Scots, was a Catholic. And by this time, the vast majority of uh, Englishmen and Englishwomen did not want a Catholic on the throne. So the Rodolfi plot was this attempt to kill Elizabeth, put Mary, Queen of Scots, on the throne. It failed. There was really, I think Philip II, who was now the, the widower of Mary, the Catholic English queen, he realized that it didn't have much merit. Uh, the Duke of Alva, one of his great generals, realized it was an ill-conceived scheme. And in fact, it was put down. Uh, Walsingham, who we've discussed before when we dealt with male spies, he wasn't right. uh, in the Privy Council just yet, but he provided information as well from France to help put down this plot. So I'm just curious, this guy was Italian. 
Mm-hmm. But he was living in England. He was living in England. He spent a lot of time in England. He was a devout Roman Catholic, and he wanted a Catholic on the throne of England. And he thought he could get uh, Spain to help, and uh, nothing came of it. But it was nonetheless a threat to Elizabeth. Another plot was the Throckmorton plot. That was 1583. And this was another attempt to kill Elizabeth and put Mary on the throne. Now, I'm just curious. Do we have details on how they thought they could get to her to kill her? We have some details, yeah. In fact, in the Throckmorton plot, the great Italian uh, thinker and scientist Giordano Bruno actually helped Walsingham uh, foil the plot. And uh, Giordano Bruno would eventually be burnt at the stake in Rome in 1600, but that's another matter. Oh, so what, she'd just be out one day and somebody would take a shot at her? Uh, no, it was more uh, elaborate than that. She would be almost certainly uh, stabbed to death. Uh, oh, that's nice. Most likely. And uh, in both the Rodolphi plot and the Throckmorton plot, they couldn't quite get Mary, Queen of Scots, as complicit. They came close, but they couldn't quite you know, produce the smoking gun. Because maybe she wasn't involved. Well, I'm inclined to think that she had at least awareness of it. But they couldn't, they couldn't really tie her they to They couldn't either. connect her. But they did in the next one, the Babington plot. This is the most famous plot against Elizabeth to assassinate her and put Mary on the throne. This is 1586. Anthony Babington was uh, 25 years old. He was uh, handsome. He was well-educated, but he was largely uh, superficial. And he and a number of other English Catholics decided, well, we're going to assassinate Elizabeth and put the rightful queen on the throne, Mary Queen of Scots. This time, Walsingham, her master spy, caught Mary, Queen of Scots, red-handed with her own handwriting uh, going along with this. And Mary still denied she was trying to kill her cousin, but the How evidence could you deny was if it's in your own handwriting? I know it was, and we covered this before when we, we dealt did. with Walsingham. But right. the uh, Babington plot was probably the most serious, and of course, uh, Babington and his compatriots, they were brutally put to death, hung, drawn, and quartered. Oh gosh, a, a horrible death, and it was sent as it was a signal that you know don't don't do this. But once again, she. And Elizabeth was very brave. I mean, she would uh, go out in the company. She would, uh, you know, have all kinds of balls and dances, et cetera. She exposed herself many times to danger. She had really no fear of death. And she just took it as part of being queen. You know, you just have to expect an assassination. And I guess it just comes with the territory. Well, you know, others had been assassinated. French kings like Henry III and Henry IV. uh, It's dangerous being a monarch. Or a president. Or president. Actually, on this, the anniversary of JFK's assassination. That's right. This is November 22nd, the 58th anniversary of JFK's assassination. Yes. Leadership comes with uh, many dangers. It does. And um, So, Dan, did they kind of die off after that? They kind of died off after that. There was no major assassination attempt. But don't forget that two years later, after the Babington plot, you have the Spanish Armada trying to <laughs> replace Elizabeth and uh, put taking her off the throne, by which time Mary, Queen of Scots, was dead, but they had another candidate to put on the throne, the Infanta. And uh, the Spanish Armada, everyone in Europe thought that it would crush, crush the English and Elizabeth would be gone. That didn't happen. In one of the great uh, David versus Goliath episodes in history, the English fleet defeated the Spanish fleet and Elizabeth was hailed throughout the Protestant world as this, this savior of Protestantism. And this is when her reputation really began to soar. 
because of the defeat of the Spanish Armada. It was already in the ascendancy, but uh, the last 15 years of her life, she was looked upon as this great monarch. But she survived many assassination attempts. She almost was executed when her half-sister Mary was queen. She came very close to, uh, to that. And uh, she survived smallpox. Uh, this was a very difficult person to kill. A tough lady. And she died at the age of 69. Which is amazing considering yes. the time. Considering the time, that was an old age, yes. She was 69 when she died. And she left England in very good shape, not but some, without an heir. With some tactical problems. No, there was an heir. Uh, her, Mary Queen of Scots' son, James the Sixth of Scotland, who became James the First of England. Right. Right. And she left some problems for the Stuarts, but uh, while she was queen, she was uh, magnificent. And she was a survivor. She was a survivor indeed. So who's next on our list? Next on our list is George Washington. I love him. Yes. Washington was born in 1732 in Virginia and died in 1799 in Virginia. I consider him one of the great human beings who ever existed. A future king of the UK, William IV, who reigned from 1830 to 1837, said, and I quote, George Washington was the greatest man who ever lived. Wow, that's pretty high praise coming from a Brit. Yes, it is, and a British king at that. Impressive. And a son of George III, against whom we rebelled. Right. Washington endured many diseases. Uh, he had tuberculosis. Starting oh, when? When he was a young man? Well, he had smallpox when he was... The only time Washington left the United, what would become the United States was when he took a sea cruise to the Caribbean with his half-brother Lawrence, and he got smallpox. He was about 19 at the time. It's good that he did because it inoculated him against smallpox during the Revolutionary War. But Washington also suffered uh, at different times from dysentery, pneumonia, uh, tuberculosis, and a whole host of other diseases. I can't believe he survived tuberculosis. Yes, he survived many diseases. But what's even more impressive about George Washington is that even though he was in many battles, even as a young militiaman from Virginia fighting with the British in the French and Indian War, exposing himself to danger many times over, he was never once hit by a bullet. Never once? Never once. That's pretty, he came awfully darn close. For instance, in 1755, when General Braddock was the head of the English troops fighting against the French in the French and Indian War, moving toward Fort Duquesne, which is where Pittsburgh is now, and General Braddock would die, he would be killed in that battle, Battle of the Monongahela, or the Battle of the Wilderness, Washington had two horses shot out from under him and four musket balls sent into his wool coat that didn't penetrate his flesh. Wow. And then in the Revolutionary War, fast forwarding 20 years, when he was the commander in chief of the Continental Army, time and time and time again, he exposed himself to enemy fire. For instance, after the American forces left Boston and came to Long Island and uh, almost were annihilated by the British in August of 1776, just shortly after we declared independence, Washington moved his troops to Manhattan, and his troops performed so badly there 
that he actually rode in front of his troops, exposed himself to enemy forces just 30, 40, 50 yards away. And some of his officers had to actually come up and pull the reins of his horse to move him away. What was he trying to do? He was disgusted with the performance of the American troops. And he didn't care. And he moved up. And then in the battle of... Wait, so did, did he think that would encourage them if, he, if they I saw think, him out think, in front? I think Washington oftentimes had a death wish that uh, either they would win or they would lose. And if he had to lose his life, he didn't care. He had no fear. He's like Elizabeth, unlike many other great leaders. He had no fear of death. In the Battle of Princeton in early January of 1777, after his magnificent surprise at Trenton, Christmas night, he again exposed himself to fire from the enemy. What I find most interesting is in the Battle of Germantown that occurred in October of 1777, as the British were moving in to take over Philadelphia, and this would be very shortly after the Battle of Brandywine in September, American troops began to fire on one another, friendly fire and all that because of confusion. Mm -hmm. And Washington rode into the midst of them to stop American troops from firing on other American troops. He should have been killed several times over, and he wasn't. I can't imagine just riding your horse out into open fire. Yeah, it was stunning. I mean, Washington was never once hit by a bullet by any enemy that, that fire. That seems hardly, hardly possible. Well, Washington, who philosophically, not so much theologically, believed in a higher power, felt that divine providence was watching over him. And I can't blame him. <laughs> right? When you escape death that many times? He escaped death many times. I know of no assassination attempt once he became the first president of the United States. But as a young man in the French and Indian War, and then as the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army in the Revolutionary War, he avoided death time and time and time again. So he was hard to kill. He was definitely hard to kill. So what did he finally die from? Actually, he died in December of 1799 because he went out and rode among his estates in Mount Vernon and got some kind of very bad cold. And then uh, the doctors who attended him <laughs> uh -oh. led him and did other things that no... All the barbaric medicine yeah, of the right. 18th century. I think that if uh, uh, Washington had been attended by modern medical doctors, he would not have died. But he died at the age of 67 in December of 1799. So young. Yes, but not from battle, not from disease but probably from malpractice. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think that's most likely. Most likely. Wow, that's fascinating. Okay, we're up to number three. Well, now we're to the most obscure individual. And I can understand why our listeners would not have heard of this individual. This is King Zog I of Albania. Yeah, never heard of him. Albania was under Ottoman Turkish uh, Muslim rule for centuries. In 1912, Albania, as was the case in other parts of the Balkans, declared its independence of Ottoman rule. And the Ottoman Turkish Empire, by the late 19th, early 20th century, was on its last leg. As Nicholas I, Tsar of Russia from 1825 to 1855, said, the Ottoman Empire was the sick man of Europe. 
Well, Albania declared its independence in 1912, and a man named Ahmed Zagu, who was born in the mid-1890s, became prime minister of Albania in the early 1920s, before he was even 30 years old. Then he became president, and then in 1928, they decided to create a monarchy, and he became King Zog I of Albania. So I just want to get a little backstory on his heritage. Did he come from a well-to-do family? He came from an aristocratic Muslim family Okay. that went back centuries. I think he was just nominally Muslim. And because Albania had Muslims, Orthodox Christians, Roman Catholics, he understood very early on, to his credit, I think, that Albanian patriotism, Albanian nationalism, should be emphasized over any religious aspect. In fact, he would marry not a Muslim, but a Roman Catholic. A Which Hungarian. is really surprising, considering he was royalty. That's right. And uh, her name was Geraldine. I love that name. Uh, she was from the Apanyi Hungarian family, a very aristocratic family in Austria-Hungary. And he married her and emphasized the importance of Albanian patriotism. I kind of like this guy. I really do. And as you and I both came across, he smoked something like 200 cigarettes a day. Which almost seems humanly <laughs> impossible. That would be 10 packs of cigarettes a day. I mean... It would be literally before you even get out of bed to the time you lay down at it the end of the It would be just one after the other. And he lived till his mid-60s. That's astonishing and this disgusting. This guy <laughs> was hard to kill. Well, by uh, cigarettes anyway. Well, as prime minister, he was shot twice. As king, uh, there were something like 50 attempts on his life. Now, he, why? Why were th who who was well, there doing were this? Many, there were many who felt that uh, in Albania and elsewhere they didn't want a monarchy. They were either on the left side of the political spectrum or they were non-monarchical. He survived something like fifty-five assassination attempts. His bodyguard one time, because the bodyguard was mis uh, mistaken for being him, was shot in the head. <gasps> And then in the 1930s, because he's king from 1928 to 1939, the only king in Albanian history. And I may just add, if you look at the photos of Albania to our listeners, Albania is a gorgeous country. I mean, the Albanian Alps, uh, the southern part of Albania was part of ancient Greece. It has Greek temples there. It's a magnificent uh, portion of the Balkans. And he deprecated the increasing Italian dominance of his country by Mussolini, who was dictator of, of Italy from 1922 onwards. And in 1939, two days, just two days after his son was born to his Roman Catholic Hungarian wife, Mussolini invaded Albania. Uh-oh. And uh, Zog I fled to England to England, he, of to all places. England, yes. Although he did not have a high opinion of Neville Chamberlain. But that's another matter. He thought Hitler and Mussolini were both madmen. This is all part of the reason why I like this guy. He, he seems to uh, be pretty <laughs> smart. Yes. I, very intuitive. And very brave. 
Uh, Clearly. Right. And a patriot. And I, I can admire that. And he lived in England during World War II. Uh, eventually, he would end up in Egypt for a while. He would finally end up in France, and he would die there in 1961. And what's interesting is, in 2012, his body was exhumed from his grave in France, and he was brought back with great honors to Albania, where he rests to this day. Yeah, it seems only appropriate that he should... Zog the first, and he had a son, Leka, who had another son, Leka, and the his grandson, who was born in the early 1980s, still claims to be the rightful king of Albania. If it ever were to go back to a monarchy. Right. But at least since 1991, it ended its communist rule under Enver Hoxha, who basically half destroyed the country. So... um between communist rule under Hoxha and Zog the First, I'll take Zog the First any day. Right, given the choice. Yeah, I really kind of like the guy. He sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, very interesting, and uh, I think three dimensional and 200 cigarettes a day. Wow. That has to be a record. That has to be in the Guinness yeah, he Book might, of World Records he might or be something. A, he could be in the record book for that. Okay. And now we finally come back. To the king of kings. Well, the king of assassination attempts. Right, uh, with respect to assassination attempts. Now, this is Fidel Castro, born in 1926, died in 2016. I do not like Fidel Castro. I want our listeners to know that. I, I think, think based on the the episode on Cuba that we did. Right, and also the episode on Marxism that we did. I right. think that uh, Castro was a serial killer on a national scale. But I have to give him this. He was a survivor. He might be the hardest to kill. Well, out of according to uh, the Cuban government, he survived 638 assassination attempts. That's a heck of a lot. Now, I don't know if it's 638, but I think even if it's half that, even if it's even if it's a quarter of that, he's still it's extraordinary. Number one, I, I have to give this to Fidel Castro. He was a survivor, and the CIA, beginning with the Kennedy administration, perhaps even with the Eisenhower administration, they came up with all kinds of ways of killing him. Under the Kennedy administration, it was known as Operation Mongoose. And they uh, poisoned a uh, skin diving suit because he loved skin diving, which would create a skin, skin diving. Yes, yeah, sk uh, scuba diving. I'm sorry. <laughs> skin, <laughs> skin diving. What the heck is that? Scuba diving. And so they came up with a poison scuba diving suit. They came up. Did with he put it on? Yeah, or but it didn't work. And then uh, he had uh, there were poison cigars. And then one of his mistresses, and he had many. Oh, many, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. He was in the mold of Charles II. And uh, one of the mistresses, he knew that she was there to kill him. He actually handed her a gun and said, go ahead and try to kill me. I cannot be killed. No one can kill me. All right. Even wow. though I have many disagreements with Fidel Castro on policy issues, this guy had no fear and survived huge numbers of attempts to so kill him. So I'm just curious, in that particular example, yeah. what did she do? Uh, they made love afterwards. Oh, of course they did. Because, <laughs> you know. Yeah. See, this just proves once again. He's like again, the James Bond of Cuba. Well, truth is stranger than fiction. 
For but sure. no one could kill Castro. And I got to give Castro this, even though I despise his political policies, and I think he ruined Cuba. He was a survivor. He was a survivor. Yeah. I wonder what, when those attempts ceased to be. Well, I think that in the last years of his life, when he gave up almost all power to his brother Raul, they had ceased. But for decades, there was an attempt to kill him. And he survived. I mean, you would these. think he'd always have to be looking over his shoulder. I mean, were people tasting his food? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He had to worry about uh, food poisoning. Uh, many monarchs did through the centuries. Chinese emperors, English kings, and so there on. There was always the official taster. Oh, yeah, the official taster. and uh, the. I would not want that job. Yeah, I would... Uh, I would not go with that job either. Yeah. No, no I, I, I far prefer uh, just having been a history teacher. Right. Yeah. But, uh, no, Castro was a survivor. And I think that... Uh, now, Zod what about diseases? Did what? he did he suffer any tropical diseases down there in Cuba? Not that I know of. I mean, he had many mistresses. I don't know of any information that I have that he had uh, syphilis or gonorrhea or whatever. Well, but, I bet the government would, if he did... Yeah. They would keep that under wraps. He had a huge ego, to put it mildly. Well, you'd have to. One, you can't be killed. Two, you can have any woman you want. And mm -hmm. three, you're the most powerful person in your country. In your country. Yeah. He had many talents. I think they were ill-used. I wish he would have prized freedom and democracy and capitalism. I don't think that was ever an option with him, was it? No, it wasn't. No. Mm -mm. But... He was a survivor. For sure. And I think he might get the prize. Oh, I think easily. Yeah. I mean, uh, Zog the first, maybe over 50 assassination attempts. Um, Which is impressive. Yeah. But uh, Castro, hundreds. It's just a question of how many hundreds of attempts. Wow. Yeah. Hard to kill. Hard to kill. So what are we doing next? Next, we are doing Staying Alive, Staying Alive. Uh, uh. <laughs> not 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 the disco version, but I'm so, I'm so glad. <laughs> um, but the actual yes. staying alive. Yeah, I think the three we're going to do is uh, Zenovan's uh, Ten Thousand, which is just something that has gone down in history as. But I th I feel like it's kind of been lost because I didn't even know about it. Well, not that I'm a great historian, but I didn't even know about it till we talked about this well, episode idea. And then the pilgrims in the early 17th century who stayed alive. And then a fascinating staying alive, Ernest Shackleton's Antarctic Expedition. That's an amazing story. It's an extraordinary story. Yeah. One for the ages. Wow. And who knows? We might throw another one in there just for fun. We might. Who knows? Yeah, right. Okay. Well, listeners, thank you for being here. And... Have a beautiful, wonderful Thanksgiving with friends, family, your dog, whoever makes you happy. Happy Thanksgiving. And until next time. Goodbye. Well, friends, here we are at the end of the podcast. Be sure to check out the links in the show description to find some of the resources we used for this episode. Also, if you've enjoyed listening, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a virtual high five by leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that. And if you'd like to connect with us directly, you can find us at historicallyspeakingpodcast.com 
or follow us on Instagram at Historically Speaking Podcast. That's it for today. And again, thanks for sharing part of your day with us. And remember, if you want to know what the future holds, study the past. <laughs>